This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tallest, founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith With. It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much for making your way here. Please hit that subscribe button. You know how this works. If you uh, dig what you hear, I put out three new interviews every single week. New ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So it's a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones, and know what's happening in the music world too. In the movie world, as it pertains to this episode, I'm Kyle Meredith. My guest is Kevin Smith. Myth. Yes, you know him as uh, Silent Bob from Clerks, Small Rats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, and all the other movies from the View Askew universe. We're going to be talking about He-Man, actually Netflix's Masters of the Universe revelation. This is the continuation of He-Man, where it left off in the uh, in the uh, mid-80s uh, cartoon series. So we're going to hear about creating the continuation, uh, meeting fan expectations, working with people's nostalgia, too. He's going to draw on his own experiences from seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark with his dad to his own Marvel super fandom. And it's got a huge cast of voice actors that we get to talk about, uh, like Henry Rollins, because, you know, it's consequence. We, we like to do music here, uh, as well as uh, Lena Headey from uh, Game of Thrones. In fact, we're going to be drawing comparisons between Game of Thrones and Masters of the Universe. We also get a small glimpse of the second half of the series. It's yet to be released, especially from uh, Bear McCreary's epic score. So let's Let's do this. Masters of the Universe Revelation. It's Kyle Meredith with Kevin Smith. How are you, man? I, I appreciate being referred to as an artist. It took me a long time to accept that title. And early in my career, I was too cool for school. So if somebody was like artist, I was like, I'm not an artist, man. I just made a movie. But after like, let me say I started in 1994. So 27 years, I'm ready to be like, yeah, I guess I am in the arts business. If they were to put me somewhere in a newspaper, which, you know, kids, that was a thing we used to read back in the day. It would definitely not be sports. It wouldn't be front page. Wouldn't be the classifieds. It would definitely be arts and, and leisure. So I, I, I think I do. I'm ready to be called an artist. 
I'm happy to have you as the artist on the uh, on the series today, uh, because especially now you, you've done so many things. And what we're talking about here specifically today with Masters of the Universe Revelation is something also different than the other stuff. I mean, it fits in the world, sure, but it's it's this still seems different than what I would be used to seeing you doing. And for you know those watching and listening, uh, it's uh, it's out on Netflix. It's a uh, Masters of the Universe, you know, what we called it back in the 80s, I just called it He-Man. That's right. It was, a, it was originally created by Mattel as a line of toys, 1981. And the line of toys was called Masters of the Universe. 1983, the animated series debuts, and that's called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And that's what most people colloquially call the show is He-Man. That's the He-Man mm -hmm. show. But our series is kind of a spiritual sequel to that animated series but rooted deeply as that animated series was in the, the very deep Mattel lore that they created for this. Like, you know, if, if you've never seen the Netflix show, The Toys That Made Us, they did a great episode about where Masters of the Universe came from. Mattel was going to do Conan figures. They saw Conan. They're like, this is way too grown up. So they decided to kind of like change the formula and literally marketed this line of toys, put it together and sold it as a line of toys. But they created this deep bench of characters and this like aching backstory um, that gets added to by everyone that jumps in. DC Comics handles the characters in 1982. They add spokes to the wheel like Prince Adam, the secret identity. DC Comics is like, we're in the secret identity business. This guy, if he's a superhero, he needs a secret identity. Boom, Prince Adam gets added. Um, by, by the time they get to the animated series, that's where Orko gets added. So it's got this like long history of many cooks who have kind of made it what it is, but what it started as was, you know, very crassly, let's sell some damn toys. But it shows you that like so much love for the property over the years has transformed it from like a series of toy commercials to this beloved franchise that like going into it, you know, I thank God I didn't realize how big the fandom for Masters of the Universe still is it would have pressured me from taking the job in the first place. Like who needs that? You know, people are like, do you ever want to make a star Wars? I was like, why? Like, I love watching star Wars, but the pressure from the amount of people who'd be like, you ruined star Wars. Like, I don't want to, I don't want no part of that, man. I love <laughs> Batman. I love DC. I love Marvel, but like, I never think about making those things because I, there's number one, I'm not visually talented enough. Number two, like I was put in this world to make Kevin Smith film. So I should stick to that. But number three, the pressure that comes along with a fandom, with a fan base, is really high. Man, it's tough to clear that bar. The Russo brothers did it wonderfully with, you know, Endgame and with with the uh, Infinity War and stuff like that. But like, you know, if if somebody told me, "Hey, man, Masters," there's there's a bunch of people out there who are they're going to be watching closely. They're going to be mad if you get things wrong and stuff. They have ideas about what the show should be. I probably would have been like, I'm okay. When they asked me to do it, I was like crossing my fingers that they weren't asking me for a reinvention because if Rob David at Mattel television had been like, we want you to recreate He-Man for the 21st century. I would have been like, I'm, I'm not your guy. I watched every episode of that cartoon when I was in my preteens, early teens. And I made fun of it because they would never you know, stab each other and stuff. But I know the material insanely well and whatnot. So I can give you the next episode, but I can't reinvent this. And they were like, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a continuation. So 
our series, Revelation, is essentially a spiritual sequel to He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. But in our iteration, they can stab each other and people could <laughs> die. That was the one thing my boss asked for, Ted Biaselli at Netflix. He's the reason we're doing this. We're living in his dream. He loves Masters of the Universe and has since he was a kid. When I first met him, he was like, look, I love Batman. I love Marvel. Love Star Wars. Motu, Masters of the Universe. That's my religion. That's my number one. He's like, I watched every episode when I was a kid. And every episode, I swore to God, I was scared that Skeletor was going to kill He-Man. He's like, then I got older and I realized that was never going to happen. He's going, but what I'm looking for is for you to give me the show that I thought I was watching when I was a kid. Please give me Masters of the Universe, but with stakes, like if people could die, what would happen if they had to deal with the fallout of death and stuff? He's like, I know like a lot of people would make jokes about this because the, the franchise has many colorful characters with a deep bench and some of them are kind of goofy and stuff. He's going, but I'm begging you, like, don't make fun of it. He's going, just play it like Shakespeare. He's like, I've always wanted to know what would happen if somebody treated this so seriously? And so that was our marching orders. We went in and, you know, it's not like kids can't enjoy it. It's totally family friendly. But the idea was, okay, we're doing the show that everyone remembers. In the writer's room, I told the kids, like, the idea is when people watch this, they have to feel like my toys are exactly where I left them. But now I'm in a different place. So my game is going to be a little bit more grown up. And we have the benefit of dealing with people's memories and their memories of the show. Their memories of the show are very different than what the show was. So when we debuted our teaser, people were like, this is my childhood come to life. But it's like, go back and watch your childhood. It never looked like this. What it looks like is your memory of the show combined with what you did with the figures. Because when you played, they could kill each other. People could get stabbed. You could do things they never did in the cartoon. So we've got this wonderful amalgam of people going like, oh, it looks exactly like my childhood, but they're remembering it's not the show, it's their childhood. It's what they did with the figures. And that's kind of the spirit of the show. I watched every episode in the 80s and you know, there were times I'd be like, why can't they do this? Why wouldn't they do this? Like I'd always sit there and be like, when he's He-Man, what if he called down the power of Grayskull already in that form? Would he be get even bigger? Like what would happen? And so after year, decades, for heaven's sakes, Mattel is like, well, we'll take those ideas. And so like, I was able to kind of write wish fulfillment episodes of the show going like, oh, this is what would happen if one of them died. This is what would happen if like one of them lost faith or if one of them found out that they've been lied to all this time. So we get to deal with like vaguely, you know, adult themes, not adult meaning like they all have sex, there's no sex in the show. But adult meaning like, you know, they deal with more mature issues than they ever did in the original incarnation of the show. So it's it's been this blissful ride for like two years, man. And I never would have taken it if I knew that there were people to let down. Like, you know, I, I felt like our two bosses, Rob, uh, Rob David at Mattel Television and Ted Biaselli at Netflix, two of the biggest fans of the franchise on the planet. Like this, this guy, not only Rob David, not only runs Mattel television and stuff as an exec, but he wrote the masters of the universe comics at DC for the last few years. And Ted, like I said, died in the wolf fan. So there was no chance that I'd ever go off the rails. There was never a moment where I was like, guess what they do. And it's completely uncharacteristic because Ted or Rob would be like, that would never happen. Like I remember writing the first episode 
and going like, you know, the sorceress meets them um, outside of Grayskull. She lands. And Ted instantly texted me and he was like, the sorceress can't leave Grayskull. And I was like, well, I mean, she's only right outside. And he's like, she can't, she can only leave Grayskull in the form, the Zor form, the form of the bird. But if she's going to be in sorceress form, she can only go as far as the drawbridge. Little touches like that made it so foolproof. You know what I'm saying? Like where I felt like, okay, if this Uber fan and this Uber fan are satisfied, then the rest of the Uber fans will likely be satisfied. Well, I, I tell you, after that first episode, you know, jaw-dropping moment right at the end of it. You, you, you know, I didn't, I didn't see it coming. Maybe I should have. I didn't see it coming. And then three more episodes later, that's when I started realizing, as we were talking at the beginning of this about the title, right, this isn't called He-Man. It's called Masters of the Universe. And it does seem like that, just, just even that right there, opens it up to so much more that's that what, you can do with it. What, Rob, Rob David at Mattel, my boss at Mattel, he was very, when you know, I took the job, he was like, I want to talk to you about He-Man. And so, you know, I was, oh, He-Man, of course, blah, blah, blah. But from that moment forward, it was masters because Rob's pitch was like, look, everyone knows He-Man. But the, the toy line that we own, Mattel owns, they don't own the 80s animated series, right? Like that was mm -hmm. produced by, by Funimation or not Funimation, uh, Filmation. Mm -hmm. And now is owned by Universal as part of, was bought by DreamWorks. So Universal and DreamWorks, they own the entire lot of it. So all yeah, that. Right. right there you there go. It is. That's, That's a, the one, yeah. right? So, you know, in a world where we were kind of like spiritually sequelizing that show, Rob was like, just remember, it started as Masters of the Universe. He, it became He-Man and Masters of the Universe in the 80s, thanks to Filmation, but He's like, it's always been about all these characters. And he's going, our characters are so rich. He's going, every episode of the show was literally all of them. You know, it, it was never like He-Man by himself. They, The point of the show, every episode was like, they all work together and that's how things get done and stuff. Every moral kind of pointed back to that. So Rob was like, use them all. He's going, of course, everyone wants to do just like a He-Man story. He's going, but like, it's masters of the universe. Please play with all the characters. So they've got these incredibly rich characters, man. Like if somebody, you know, if somebody was like, sit down today and dream up a world, I wouldn't have come up with this many characters, this deep allure. We're talking about Stan Lee, Jack Kirby level storytelling in terms of the deep bench of characters that they got. And so for us to play with it, you know, we knew there was a certain responsibility. I told all the kids in the writer's room, I was just like, look, I went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark with my father the day it came out. My father took me to the movies all the time. He took me to that movie. And I, you know, I'd known my father at that point for 11 years. I was 11 or 12 or whatever. And he's my dad, you know, just he didn't wear his heart on his sleeve. He was a guy that worked uh, five days a week, to put food on the table. And he was the disciplinarian and stuff like that. So just dad, you know, never thought of him as a person, thought of him as dad. Stoic you know, just kind of that's, he's in charge. We go to see Raiders of the Lost Ark and I, for the first time, meet Don Smith, the boy at the heart of my father, the kid I never met because he grew up long before me because that dude is sitting next to me in the movie theater for the first time and all the time he's ever taken me to the movies, he is talking at me a mile a minute while the movie's rolling because he's beside himself excited. He's like, oh my God, this is exactly the kind of movie that me and your Aunt Barbara would go see on Saturdays. They called them cliffhangers. And then we had to go back the next week to see if the guy died. 
this is amazing. You got to enjoy this. Like he was so engaged. And I, I met my father for the first time that day. You know, I felt, I've always loved my dad. I fell in love with my dad that day. Cause I'm like, look at him. He's just like me. He loves this stuff. Or he did love this stuff when he was a kid. So I told the kids in the writer's room, I was like, that's what we're going to be evoking here because the, the primary audience that's going to sit down and watch this 40 to 50 years old. They're the kids that grew up watching this in the eighties and now they're adults. And so that was our manifest. We're going, that was expressly who we were making the show for that audience. But my theory to the kids in the room was just like how my dad dragged me to Raiders of the Lost Ark because it meant so much to him. And just like I drag my kid to every Marvel movie because they mean so much to me. I said, we know for a fact that every parent sitting down, every boyfriend, every girlfriend, every husband, every wife, they're going to want to share it with someone they love because this is that important to them because we're going to reconnect them with their childhood. We're going to bring them full circle. And when that happens, you want it. One of the best parts of like loving a thing or loving a series of stories or something is watching it, consuming it, appreciating it, cataloging it in your head. But secondary to that is sharing it because you get to be part of the storytelling yourself. When I was watching WandaVision with my wife during lockdown, you know, she was unfamiliar with all the Marvel stuff. So she's like, I'll watch this with you. And anytime she was like, oh, this is good. What's, I don't understand what's going on here. I'd pause it and be like, let me explain the last 10 years to you, man. <laughs> you become part of the storytelling. It's fun. So mm. I said to the kids in the writer's room, we are going to have that. Let's just marvelize this experience for everybody. Just the same way that Marvel reserves me my childhood favorite stories with new recipes and I'm ready to eat it up again. Same thing here. Everything that happened with these characters in the 80s, totally true, canon, like we're not disavowing anything. This is just the next episode if there were stakes, if they could stab each other and stuff like that. So that's kind of how we we went at it, man. Like, And between our two bosses and also like, they got these wonderful books, man, like Dark Horse been publishing these thick ass encyclopedia books that, that capture the entire history of, of, of the franchise, Master Universe from the day it was created up until like the most recent comic incarnation. You could just sit there and dive. They're also like a beautiful website, the Masters of the Universe website that Val runs online. Um, he's the guy that runs PowerCon, which is the big Masters of the Universe convention. Invaluable. The fans on those forums, invaluable. Because like you don't misstep because you know exactly who you're making this for. And there is no like, hey man, we're going to break it in order to make it like you don't have to it's so well put together and they have such great concepts that were never touched like the, you know in the opening episode i don't think it's spoiling anything but at one point we reveal that castle grayskull has long been the palace of wisdom and, and only looks like that because it's a fucking spell to scare people away like when i was reading that i was like that is so metal i was like that's going in episode one so we were able to cherry pick from all the rich history, from the website, from the books, from the backs of old figures, from the filmation series, a little bit from the Mike Young series, every incarnation of it, we were able to kind of look at and be like, okay, what did we like and what are we gonna borrow? But the chief one, of course, was 1981 to 1983, all the toy stuff and then the filmation show. So you wanna be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out, it's free. 
There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Uh, a quick side note, by the way, uh, Indiana Jones, that's my Marvel. That's my, I've got the young Indy, all of it. You know, that's, you see, I get it. Have I get you seen that? Do you see the Phoebe Waller-Bridge picture they put up today? Her first picture of her in, in costume in the movie. And it looks like quasi late 60s early 70s outfit that she's wearing you know they broke canon a little bit on that fourth one and i'm getting off the point here because the young indie series he had a daughter yes i was hoping they would rectify that so it's but on the subject of he-man because indy's another conversation for another time i had wondered about how you were going to fit the morals in there because that's how the the old episodes would always end and you did it's weaved so perfectly in there to the point i started thinking i had to go back and check and i think it's the first one that the first moral they ever gave you was to keep trying. And if you fail, try again. And I thought, well, that's what Skeletor has actually been. He's just been following the rule here. The poor guy is just doing what he was told to try, try again to take over the universe. It's, it's really, yeah, it's the problem. The problem is the morals at the end of the old show pushed that guy. He learned his lesson at the end of every episode. He got beat it, beaten, but then you know, some nice guy would come on and be like, what you got to do is try and try. <laughs> and then the poor guy is just like, you know what? I'm back at I'll it. Do it. When I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Um, we, we actually in the room talked about like we all wanted to do morals at the end of the episodes. But by virtue of the fact that, you know, we're telling one long story that's cut up in chapters. The idea was like, we'll weave, you know, the, the, there, there's when you watch the old episodes, the moral always came at the end because they were like 22 minutes and very easy to sum up. Our moral comes at the end of episode 10. So like it, it's coming, kids. It's just going to be a while. Part one is the first five episodes. Part two is the second five episodes. I just heard the score today for episode 10. Bear McCreary finished his entire run of score and the dude like one above and beyond you've heard the work in the first five take that times it by 11 and that's like the next five episodes and then hearing episode 10 every theme he created throughout all the episodes come to bear in this gigantic epic you know battle episode it's mind-bendingly great well, as we are consequence of sound, you know, you bring up the music right there. And I should point out of the humongous, amazing cast that you have here. And I'll bring up a few others, but you've got Henry Rollins. How did, okay, just it, whatever, man. Henry Rollins is in this show. Yeah. How, what was that? How did that happen? So Rollins uh, was interested in like playing, being skeletal. He does voice work all the time, um, in, especially in animation. So he had sent in like a Skeletor um, audition, but we, we already had Mark. But I was like, I love Rollins, man. And we knew what we were doing for Triclops was kind of reinventing him as like this mad monk a little bit. So at that point, I was like, I mean, could you imagine Rollins? Like, you know, who's no stranger to spoken word, no stranger to uh, boisterous uh, per performance in front of crowds. I was like, what if Rollins was our was our Mad Monk Triclops. So he came in and he was absolutely lovely. I'm a big fan of him. I was on a show years ago. He's such a good guy. But 
you know, he came in and he gave a, like a very subtle performance. And I was like, Henry, we're going to, we're going to dial you up man. just go big. And so he went big. And then I was like, Henry, we can go even bigger. And he was like, I will go as big as you want. He's going, but you were Scott big. Yeah. He was yeah. like, this, this, this is as big as I've been in a while. And then he brought it and he, he just sells it. Like he's so absolutely wonderful. Um, and his performance as like Triclops, as, as you've seen in the episode so far, he comes back later on as well. One of the highlights of the show, but watching him perform it, you know, like this, this is a guy who's a legend in front of a microphone. And when you're in the room recording and we got to record him before the pandemic. So we were in like the studio together. That's like a byproduct, a cool byproduct of the job is like, I'm getting a private one man Rollins show right here. You know, like what's that's I never go back in time and tell your younger self. That's one of the cool things going to happen if, if you take a job like this. And I mean, his voice is so it, like he is, he's it's, it's over the top, but it's so distinct. And that happens through like my wife watched it with me too. And uh, she goes, is that Sarah Michelle Geller?" And it's like, well, it's, it's sort of obviously Sarah Michelle Geller, right. you know, and that's and Stephen Roots in there. Like I didn't hear him at first and I, you know, I'm such a big fan. And, and I just, like I said, I keep going. I wrote down so many uh, Alicia Silverstone, of course, Mark Hamill. You got Lena and uh, and Liam Cunningham in this too, and I thought, well, you've got two Game of Thrones, and if anybody could redo that last season, now you've got to start. So, <laughs> well, we felt like you know when I was talking to Ted and 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 uh, Rob at the beginning of the job like two years ago, I was like, look, man, like Masters of the Universe is basically Game of Thrones without all the the nudity and the, and you know the dragons. Like it's very like you you know if you if if somebody had done Game of Thrones as a cartoon back in the 80s, probably would have been pretty damn close to the, you know, the swords and sorcery of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. So as we were casting, you know, even when we were writing the show, we were like, could you imagine if we got Cersei for Evelyn? And like, couldn't believe that Lena was like, I love this show when I was a kid, so I'll totally do it. Because it upped our game. Like, you know, her performance is, is award-worthy, for heaven's sakes. I don't think I'm overstating it. It's, it has nothing to do with me. But she is playing it so seriously and giving it mm -hmm. such emotion, particularly for a character who, like, you know, wears her bad girl on her sleeve. It's in her name. It's in, like, evil Lynn, for heaven's sakes. But she brings such nuance to the performance Far more nuanced than even in her Cersei performance, which was a wonderful performance, but she was just flat out nails on the chalkboard evil. Here, she gets to take this journey where, you know, as things change in Eternia based on the first episode, they affect, we get to see how it affects everybody and how it affects her in the first five episodes and then in the next five is really interesting. She, Sarah Michelle, uh, Chris Wood, who's our He-Man and our Prince Adam, and of course, Mark, who just chews the scenery. All of them just like elevated the material. Like, you know, they were not afraid to come in and give multiple takes where you're like, hey man, can we try that again and just give it like cry on this one? And they, they, they went for it. You know, I think everyone took the job going, oh, this will be fun. And they had a great time. But like, by the time the job was over, they're like, wow, we really did something kind of neat. Like I literally acted in this thing. You know, I think that's the take we had from a lot of the performers. It's interesting too. You know, you talk about Game of Thrones and everything. Of course you got Mark uh, and, and you, you could bring up Star Wars and some of the similarities. I had wondered if the there were obvious homages happening in it. So I think it was um, maybe the uh, beginning of episode two. I was getting a pretty strong Star Wars vibe on that one.
Sorry about the mess is flat out stolen. Absolutely. Well, yeah, there's a monster that looks like Homer Simpson in one of the tree houses of horror that's going on. I wanted him to say dough. I mean, there are these moments, you know, and I kept writing down like, what is this? Mad Max and Star Wars. Yeah, just all of that. Kind of, I mean, and you have those opportunities, I guess. I mean, you take those opportunities, I think, in other other works that you do as well. But all the time. am I wrong? Are they are they obviously here? Yeah, there's definitely some uh, subtle and not so subtle nods to other elements of pop culture that have influenced uh, the writing team as well as the animation team. Big shout out goes to Powerhouse Animation, the kids at Duke Castlevania for Netflix. They did our show. And Pat and Adam are directors. Now, I can't say enough good things about them. You know, we wrote the scripts like two years ago, and it takes a long time to get to the animated process, particularly when you're doing 10 episodes. So, you know, sometimes like you'll put a script to bed that gets animated six, eight months later. And Pat and Adam, the directors, they are so they're as tied into the story as I am because they see and they're working on every episode. So they would find things in episodes eight, nine, and 10 that would pay off shit that we set up in episodes one, two, and three. They became like de facto backup writers for us, man. There's a moment that happens in the back end of the show that really is like the culmination of the series in the back five. And the line came straight out of, the, out of our directors who were like, oh, you guys said something in episode one that I think would be really beautiful to bring back. And we're like, Yes, yes, you're right, visual director. We <laughs> shall do that with the words. Um, so it, it was, we got very fortunate in as much as like, you know, I, I'm used to working alone and, and stuff and it's always my voice and people are like, all oh, your characters sound like you. The nice thing here is like, I got to work with a bunch of different writers, a bunch of different artists. So there are many voices in the mix. Um, so there are definitely references beyond the references that I make. Like, Sorry about the mess was definitely like a Star Wars shout out and stuff. But there's lots of stuff running throughout the episode that I'm like, holy crap. Like uh, um, Pat, one of our directors, we had like a little get together at Ted Biaselli's house two weeks ago. And he came up from Austin. That's where Powerhouse Animation is located. So while he was there, he was like, you see the language? Like when they, uh, in episode uh, four, tail end of four, when they're in Subternia and she opens the gate to Paternia. Like Pat's like, I, I felt like, you know, you guys put so much into the writing and we're putting so much in the animation that I would come up with a language. So he fucking invented this language that he then wrote in the show. Like he don't have enough to do. I was like, you, you guys aren't busy enough, man. And he was like, it just felt like it was kind of called for. So Kurtikesh is the language he created. And then he's like, this is your name in it. And then you realize, like he wrote my name in it. And you realize that's when you're working like with people. That's why the show is as good as it is. It ain't because of anything I did. I ain't got any magic pixie dust. Like, look, go watch yoga hosers. That's what I fucking do while I'm by myself. <laughs> but you work with a bunch of talented people. They bring shit to the mix, man, and make it like so good. And they play with their heart. And that's the one thing that I love. I put like my heart into it. I was like, I'm making fun of this shit. Like this shit is I'm playing this as real as, as Affleck played Argo for heaven's sakes. And everybody else who came to the party did the same thing, even Bear. Like, Bear gave us a score belongs to a fucking movie. I said, Bear, I know what they paid you. You should hold on to this score and get paid handsomely to do it in a big feature film. And he goes, I love Masters of the Universe, and I've loved it since I was a kid. I was born to do the score. And since you guys played it so seriously and gave it your all, he's going, I could do no, nothing less. He's like, I had no choice. He's like, if I just gave it something standard, it would insult 
everything that you people have been working on for like two years. So everybody who jumped in did that. There wasn't a single person who phoned it in, man. Everybody was like, yeah, man, like this was a big part of who I was when I was a kid. Or this is a big part of like my kid's life. That's how we got Mark. Like Mark was like, I spent one whole Christmas calling every Mattel exec I could raise on the phone when my kid wanted Castle Grayskull in 1982. He's gone. So when this call came, you'd be damn skippy. I'm jumping on board, man. Life is about closing circles. And he got to close one with this. Sort of having that moment today, by the way, for what it's worth. I mean, what you've done in your career. I was saying this to in another interview uh, last week, uh, Carla Gugino. Uh, oh. I said, my favorite artists, my favorite actors, directors, whatever it is, um, are the ones I know I can trust to pick a good script. I don't even have to know what the movie is going to be about. I just know that if they're a part of it, I'm probably going to like it. I want to say that exact same thing for you, because when this was coming off, you know, I was a I was a He-Man fan. I was a Masters of the Universe fan. I probably wasn't a fanatic, but, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a part of my childhood. Yeah. Knowing that you were going to be a part of it is like, this is something I want to see. This is something I want to see because of what you do. Well, so, dude, thank you. Number one, thank you for that. But, but now that you've seen it, did we stick the landing? Oh, absolutely. I, I tell you, we, we watched the all five episodes yesterday. I say we because me and my wife, too. She didn't know that she wanted to watch. She was a big She-Ra fan growing up. She, it was the first time she ever cussed because she needed to think of something so powerful. And all, you know, there was She-Ra and, the, and just cuss words coming out. But right, right. it was, uh, but in here we are both just like captivated by it. Like, because it's, it's as good as anything else. And I don't, I'm not trying to sound, you know, reductive on that or anything. But like, yes. It was great in that sense. Yes, I loved it. That's awesome, man. That means the world, like, as again, Marvel was our lodestar. The way that I feel when I come out of those movies or their TV shows, like, I, I, that's what I wanted for, for, for this, for others. I was like, that same feeling I get where I'm like, I know I'm a grown-ass adult, but and I know I know how the sausage is made. I work in a business where I see behind the curtain and stuff like that. But, like, to be able to feel that wonder and that, that sense of, of magic again is a, is a treat. As a guy who like makes movies, to still be enchanted by movies is, is a gift. So same with this, like I wanted to deliver that for people who are like, look, I, you know, this is something I did when I was a kid, I used to watch him. I had Battle Cat and I think my mom threw my toys out and stuff. And they're gonna be going through Netflix and maybe see one of the very colorful images that Powerhouse created for the show. And be like, all right, maybe. And for the, you know, the next 25 minutes, they're, they're going to feel like themselves again. Not who the world made them, not who they have to be for the world, but who they are deep inside. And for that, for just a little while, escape into that place of like, oh, when the whole world was open and new and store, these stories were unfurling for the first time and whatnot. So I, I get that. That is what I get out of Marvel. So I was like, we're going to give that to every Masters of the Universe fan on the planet, man, who's still around. Like just, and, and seeing people react to like the trailer so far, like just people like catching things, like they split the sword. They haven't talked about the split sword since like the, the action figure and the mini comic and stuff. People appreciating the stuff that like, yes, we cherry picked all these tiny elements and little memories, distant memories that you have so that when you watch this thing, it's going to be like a tonic, man. It's going to bring you right back to that happy place in, in your childhood. And then when it's done, you got to go back to the real world. So be it and stuff. But for that, for that period of time, I mean, we got, let me see, five episodes and each one runs about 
like tops like a half an hour. So for two and a half hours, man, I, I, I bet you a lot of people just go right through it because we made it like a page turner. But for two and a half hours, you're going to feel the way you've always wanted to feel in your life, man. You did it. You did it again. We, so we, good job. I think I think this may be the first time I ever did some shit like this. <laughs> Normally I make shit and some people are like, we like it. And everyone else is like, it sucks. This has overwhelmingly been the most like favorable thing I've been involved with, at least to this point. Maybe when it drops, people are like, ah, oh, it sucks. But right now, like, you know, I've never been at the epicenter of this much like love, attention, hype, hope, and potential disappointment for those who are like, oh, this is not what I thought it would be or whatever the fuck. You know, normally in Kevin Smith's type stuff, Kevin Smith fans are excited. The rest of the world's indifferent. Here, like Kevin Smith fans are excited and the rest of the world is like, uh, we're waiting, you know, so I, I'm, I hope that they're not let down. I, I will say really quickly that the, um, the, uh, the Jay and Silent Bob reboot movie um, script, that was one of your best scripts, I think, uh, I held <laughs> because of how the layers laid on top of each other so much. I remember getting done with that movie and just going, <sighs> you know, for that late in the universe, that far in the universe, I mean, for it was... It, it's not the first time you've done that. I agree with you. Thank you so much. I, that movie is far better than it has a right to be, especially when you're like, <laughs> Jay and Silent Bob reboot. All right, but by the time you get to that Affleck scene, you know, it's just, once again, you're like, this was made with love, man. Whether you enjoy the dish or not, you know that it was prepared with like utter affection and stuff. But thank you for that. It means the world. That's one of my favorite scripts. Yeah, I, I love that. I did. Kevin, thank you so much. Uh, congrats on this. I will say congrats because uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, you did. You nailed it. You knocked it out of the park. I love what you do. I cannot wait for the next thing. It was great talking to you. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully, see you in Louisville for the uh, the movie pop ups. Those hopefully. are those are coming. So, I hopefully, we'll be popping in there. If not, it's only because we're working on something else. But yeah, hopefully, I'll be there for the pop. -up. All right, man. Thank you so much, and Excellent take care. Talking to you, man. Have a great night. Be careful out there. My thanks to Kevin Smith. Masters of the Universe Revelation is now on Netflix. Thanks to you for uh, checking out this uh, episode too. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that we put out every single week. That's new ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube for the video versions or anywhere you get your podcasts from. After that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, at WFPK.org. Consequence has music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along. Make sure to say hi when you do. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.